question. Good morning. Praise the Lord. God is good. Um, I, I'm going to do something a little bit different uh, this morning because of time restraints. Um, so I want to greet you in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, we want to honor uh, the pastor, Pastor Smith and Lady Smith in their absence. And we certainly honor uh, Elder Wilkins, Wilkins and uh, John, Elder Johnson and just all of Kennett Square, you, you, and you. It's just good to be here. And uh, there's a specific type of greeting I usually have for my wife, but due to the time restraints, I just want to honor Dr. Danette James. Just put it this way, I married her for a wife time. And so, <clears throat> so I'll, I'll forego that. Let us pray. Father, I pray that you will touch me from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet, from the bottom of my heart to the depths of my soul. Let the ever-flowing power of the Holy Spirit freely flow through this vessel that makes preaching and teaching and nourishing and confronting and comforting and ministering easy and effective. Destroy yokes, make the captive free. Save, sanctify, spirit-filled. In the name of Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, let us examine ourselves to see whether we be in the faith today. In the name of Jesus, bless everyone, young, middle-aged, and old, body, spirit, and soul. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank God. Amen. Now, it takes a while to read 16 verses. And due to the time restraints, I'm going to give you all the scripture you, you can bear. And so, uh, trust me. Uh, but what I want to do is, when I go somewhere for the first time, I usually give my testimony. Revelation 12 and 11 says, we overcome the, the, the world, the devil in the flesh, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And we love not our lives until the death. And so I want to give my testimony uh, Briefly, and then go right into the message. I was born and raised in the streets of North Philadelphia. I tried to commit suicide. I was a teenage alcoholic. I ran with women, did stick-ups on cocaine. I was um, mentally, physically, sexually abused. I played Little League, high school, college football. I was a world-class boxer. I grew up in boxing with Evander Holyfield, Meldrick Teller, Pernell Whitaker, the Joe Frazier's, all of those folks. Uh, Johan Promotions was offering me $100,000 as a 19-year-old. In 1985, I won the Pennsylvania Golden Gloves, was on my way to the regionals, nationals, Olympics, when the Lord saved me, sanctified me, baptized me with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I got married, called to preach, left boxing, all within 15 months. People thought I was crazy. It's 30, over 36 years later, and I've been a lot of places, and I've seen a lot of faces, and I had a lot of honeys and a little bit of money, but I haven't found no one that can do me like Jesus. He's a friend that's sticking closer to the brother. I'd rather have Jesus and silver and gold. No, I'm just kidding. I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. Not only that, I went to Thomas Edison High School in North Philadelphia, 1% go to college, 0.5 finish. But when I got saved, the Lord gave me a love for education. I have associates 
in Biblical Studies from Geneva College, a bachelor's in Urban Ministry Leadership with a 4.0 with research honors with the highest distinction on a 132-page thesis on evangelizing and discipling families. Not only that, God graced me, little old me, to go to the Harvard of Seminaries, Westminster Theological Seminary, where we have a master's in Christian education, a master's of divinity, and my doctorate is in pastoral care and counseling. I said all that to say, when I got saved, my mother got saved, my brother got saved, my best friend at that time got saved, following me as I follow Christ. We overcome. The enemy, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, we love not our lives unto the death. The Greek word overcome there is nakaho, where Nike, the Nike industry get their word. We're more than conquerors. Folks, you're not the victim. You're not the villain. But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory. If you have the victory in Christ Jesus, raise your hand like a boxing champion and shout hallelujah. All right, I'm in the right, right church today. Praise God. Now, there are four types of sermons. There's topical. I, I won't expound on it. There is textual topical. There is narrative. And most of the time, your pastors and we as pastors do expository. Today, I want to do a little bit of topical uh, uh, teaching, and you won't be disappointed. I want to talk to you for a few minutes from this uh, subject, what Christians are saved from and to. Say from and to. One of the things I want to say just before we get started, we want to understand that we're not saved by works, but we're not saved without works. But works are the fruit of our salvation. And so we want to deal with this whole idea of going back to the basics and reminding you of this thing called salvation. For years, non-Christians have asked the question, asked Christians the question, what are Christians saved from? And some sarcastically say, what are you Christians really saved from? If you just said the obvious answer is sin, Christians are saved from sin. Sin is a correct answer. But as correct as the answer sin is, is it just a Sunday school class answer or a weeknight Bible study answer? Or is the answer to the question what Christians are saved from deeper than just the word sin? Dr. James, what is sin? The short biblical definition for sin is anyone and anything that you and I do that misses the mark or falls short of God's glory and perfection. Yours truly defines sin as the disobedience of the Lord's God, Lord God's guidelines that guards and govern our lives for the good of godly, gracious relationships that we are supposed to have with the triune God, ourselves, others, the entire community, its culture and environment. So when you and I sin or do wrong, it is not an individual thing. It is a communal thing. Why? Because we are in a community. So when you sin, when I sin, when we sin, we sin against God, we sin against ourselves, others, the entire community, its culture and environment. Today, that is what you are, are going to learn. You are going to learn the deeper meaning of what Christians are saved from 
and two. In Matthew 1.21, the angel of the Lord told the Virgin Mary that she would bring forth a son and she will call his name Jesus. You see, Jesus' name means Jehovah is salvation, savior, one who saves, and he will save his people from their sins. Salvation is to the Jews first, then to the Gentiles, so whoever he saves from sin is his people. If you're not one of Jesus' people because you haven't been saved from your sins, you can become one of his people by getting saved today. Yes, accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. According to Paul in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess and believe in the finished work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection, you will be saved. You will be saved really means once you get saved, you currently have salvation as your present possession with all other true Christian believers. How? Because true biblical salvation is past, present, and future, meaning Christians have been saved, are saved, and will be saved. When it comes to Christians being saved from, the Bible describes a sevenfold salvation. So first we're going to teach you what Christians are saved from, and then we're going to teach you what Christians are saved to. <clears throat> Number one, Christians are saved from the power of sin. Can I get a witness from my Christians out here? All right, we're saved from the power of sin. And uh, you see, before we became Christians, I mean true biblical Christians, not hypocriting Christians or nominal Christians in word only but not in deed, but before we became not perfect Christians, but forgiven Christians who are saved, born again, washed in the blood, baptized in the water, baptized in the Holy Ghost, Bible-believing, all we know how Christians, living, all we know how Christians sin had power over us. Sin had authority over us. Why? Because we were sinners by nature, so it was natural or normal for us to live and practice a sinner's life and lifestyle. Some of us were drug dealers. Some of us were drug addicts. You know why they call them drug addicts? Because they're always at it. Some of us were smokers and drinkers and fighters and whoremongers and prostitutes and pimps and thieves and robbers, liars, gamblers, gangsters and pranksters. And some of us were into all uh, into other religions or churchgoers making all kinds of foolish decisions. Some of us were worse than others, but all of us were powerless sinners. But the good news is, in Romans 6, Paul says, since we died to sin with Christ in baptism, was buried with Christ in baptism, and has risen with Christ in the newness of life to live the resurrected life with him, sin has no more dominion, power, lordship, mastery, rulership over you and you and you and you and me. Uh, so what, what we used to be, we are not anymore. 
What we used to do, we do not do anymore because Christians are saved from the power of sin. Second, we are saved from the penalty of sin, the penalty of sin. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages, the pay of sin is death, natural death, physical death, spiritual death, and eternal death. Jesus Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, which is judgment for our sins. Jesus brought our freedom from bondage to Satan and sin, and Jesus brought our freedom from God's judgment. He did this when he paid the penalty, paid the ransom that our holy God and his holy law demanded for us to pay to be released from, listen to this, Satan's grip, sin's bondage, and our holy God's just judgment upon sin and sinners. Colossians 1 and 4 says we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. The New Living Translation says he purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Listen to me carefully, people of God, Kenneth Square. Jesus did not pay the ransom to Satan. In order to rescue us from Satan, his kingdom of darkness, sin, and the judgment of God. But through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he paid the ransom to God and, and met the holy demands of God and his law. How do we know, Dr. James? Because the writer of Matthew and the writer of Mark picked up the pen and said, even the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and give his what? Life a ransom for many. And yet Satan continues to accuse us to try to make us feel guilty and try to make us uh, a, a prisoner of sin. But Jesus paid the redemptive price, the ransom for our freedom on the cross and was raised again for our justification, just as if we have never sinned. One of my favorite passages, and, and he made us the righteousness of God. You and I, because of Christ, are the righteousness of God. The Bible says says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he became sin for us, sin offering for us who knew no sin, had no sin, did no sin, that you and I might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ traded places with us on a cross. He switched. He took on our sinfulness and we took on our his righteousness. And therefore, we are the righteousness of God. If you believe that, clap your hands and tell the Lord, thank you. And we are truly free, for the Bible says he who the Son make free is free indeed. So we are saved from the penalty of sin. Then Christians are saved, delivered from the pleasure of sin. Hebrews eleven twenty four 24 through 26 says, it was by faith. Faith stands for full assurance in the heart. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction, oppression with the people of God, rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. 
Moses thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. And of course, we know the Bible lets us know for what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? What would you give in exchange for your soul? We can't exchange a Rolex watch, a Mercedes Benz, a, a, a multi-million dollar bank account for our soul. Why? Because the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, and the world and they that dwell there. In allow me to use my holy imagination. Heaven is God's throne. Earth is his footstool and hell is his dungeon. I wouldn't go to hell if I were you. Hell is hot. Hell is evil. Hell is low. Hell is lonely. Ain't no iced tea. Ain't no wine coolers. Ain't no summer breeze that make you feel fine in hell. I wouldn't go to hell if I were you if you were sinner in here today and need of a savior. So Moses thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ and to own the treasures of Egypt for he was looking ahead to that great reward. Mm. Excuse me. Getting a little emotional on that. Oh, when I see Jesus, amen. Mm, mm, mm. If Moses was able to give up the pleasures of sin in Egypt, the world in the Old Testament certainly we who are New Testament Christians that have died to the worldly pleasures and uh, pleasures of this world, when we died with Christ in baptism and buried our old fleshly lustful desires, when we were buried with Christ and have risen with Christ in the newness of life as new creatures in Christ, certainly we should be able to live like we are saved, delivered from the pleasures of sin. Jesus said we are in this world but not of this world Paul said I'm crucified to the world and the world crucified to me mm. Mm -mm -mm. the Bible says in the last days perilous times dangerous times will come and these are the last days and dangerous times are here and one of the things that will let us know that these are the last days and perilous times has come as men will love sinful worldly pleasures more than they love God. Christians, you can't love the sinful, lustful, worldly pleasures of this world and love God at the same time and be saved from the pleasures of sin. As a matter of fact, if I was to throw another one in parenthetically today, it would be being saved from the system of this world. See, it's a system. It's a system. This is a system. The devil only had three weapons, and it's a system. It's a system. What is the system, Dr. James? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world more than you love God. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all, all, this is all that is in the world and this is all the weapons that the enemy has. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world and the world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth, 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 every deacon that doeth, every usher that doeth, every lay member, every reverend, every elder mm, that doeth the will of God shall abide forever. So Christians are saved from the pleasures of sin. Fourthly, Christians are saved from the presence of sin. 
John the Revelator, the apostle, the one that Jesus loved, picked up the pen and said, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first earth was passed away and there was no more sea. Sea in the Bible many times represents chaos and confusion. And I heard John, uh, John said, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned, dressed for a husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. And God, God himself shall be with them and be their God and God shall wipe away all all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death folks we're going to the land of no more no more death uh, neither sorrow nor crying neither shall there be any more pain for the former the former the former things the former things are passed away hang on in their saints we're going to the land of no more no more murder no more violence no more rape no more drug abuse no more racism classism sexism gender wars, gang wars, injustices, uh, no more sin. Uh, one glad morning when this life is over, I, you and I will fly away. Come on and clap your hands and tell the Lord thank you. Besides being saved from sin in and of itself, we are saved from sinful self. You heard me, right? Sinful self. In Romans 6, Paul says, we as Christians have to apply, account, reckon that we died to sin, buried our sin, our old nature, and have risen with Christ in the newness of the resurrective life because the power of sin is broken. However, in Romans 7, Paul says, even though the power of sin is broken, we still struggle with the sin principle uh, in this flesh. The soulish man, the appetites, the desires, the passions. Paul said, in my flesh and in and of itself dwelleth no good thing. Listen to what Paul said. Oh, wretched, oh, miserable, afflicted man or woman that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then it's with my mind. Mm, the noetic effect of sin, how sin affected the mind. Thank God for a changed mind. How many of you know he will renew your mind? Mm. By way of the Spirit of God and the Word of God. See, your weapons are the Holy Spirit, the Holy Word, and your holily obedience to them. And that's how you overcome that old mind. Clap your hands and tell the Lord thank you. I just threw that in parenthetically. That's free. That doesn't cost a fee. Just jokingly. Yeah. So who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God with my born again mind, my spirit filled mind, my washed in the blood mind, my purified mind, my mind that the word of God has cleansed. The Bible says, uh, John 17, 17, sanctify them through truth. Thy word is truth. So with my mind, I serve the law of God. But 
But with this old nasty flesh, Paul is not necessarily talking about the hands, the feet, the eyes and ears. That's an outward manifestation of the fleshly soulish man on the inside. He said, with the law, with the flesh, I serve the law of sin. But Jesus saved us from sinful fleshly selves. Uh, but the only way we can overcome the struggle in the life of the believer is by the Holy Ghost, the Holy Word of God. And Romans 8, there is therefore now, right now, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after pornography, alcohol and drugs, sexual immorality, hate, sin, racism, and all the other schisms. Walk after the flesh, but after the spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, temperance. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. We have to understand their natural and spiritual laws. You can say all you want to. <laughs> I can believe I can fly, go up on the tallest building in, in Kenneth Square, and, 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 and saying you can believe you can fly. Trust me, when you jump off of that, you're going to die because of the law of gravity. There's laws that govern spiritual laws. Let me hasten on saints. Jesus Christ. Christ saved you from your sinful self and gave you the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, to overcome sin in you. Not only did he give you the Spirit, but he gave you the Word so you can be saved from yourself. Dr. James, what do you mean by that? I have proof for the truth. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, keep a close watch on your life and your doctrine, the Word of God. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save yourself and you will save those that hear you. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when he preached that great six-point sermon, as he was exhorting and exclaiming and proclaiming and preaching and teaching the word of God, he says, save yourselves from this untoward, from this perverse, this crooked, corrupt, and wicked generation. So you got to save yourself. Run for the hills. Translation, and look to the hills from which cometh your help, because your help cometh from the Lord. Then Christians are saved from the hands of Satan, the enemy. Psalm 107 and 2 says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he, God has redeemed out of the hands of the enemy. Once you are saved from the enemy's hand, then you can help someone else get saved from him. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.26, teach God's word that people may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken, held captive by Satan at his will to do whatever he wants them to do. Time won't allow me, but that's why this world is in an uproar the way it is. Satan has taken folk captive, and he, they are doing whatever he wants them to do. But let me throw this in parenthetically. A lot of it has to do with the church's fault, because the Bible says in Second Chronicles 7, 14, if my people, which were called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn 
turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and forgive them of their sins and heal the land. This land is sick. United States is sick. Russia is sick. China is sick. Japan is sick. The seven continents is sick. How are they sick, Dr. James? Sin sick. Uh, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Healed. Healed from sin. If we accept it. Because there is a bomb in Gilead. Come on and clap your hands and tell the Lord thank you. Young folks, Jesus is the bomb. Thank God for your mom. She's wonderful. But Jesus is the bomb. So Satan has, has captivated this country. Don't have time. So we are saved from the hands of the devil, of the enemy. I thank God Jesus, for Jesus saving us from all these things that we're saved from. I want you to hear it. I'm slow rolling it now. But there is something else that we are ultimately saved from. And that's something else. And this is the ultimate, and don't let nobody tell you anything different, biblically, the wrath of God. The wrath of God, and the wrath of God is now, right now, present in this world, and later in the future. The wrath of God, now present. Listen to this, John 3.36 says, He that believeth on the Son have everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abiding, remaining under God's angry judgment. How do we know? Because the Greek word here is meno. It's in the present active indicative. It means to remain, to continue, to be present. See, what people don't understand is God loves you. He loves the sinner, but at the same time, he is angry with the sinner. Just uh, husband and wives do it all the time. Parents all the do. You love your loved one, but you can be angry with them. Listen, this is what the Bible says in Psalm 7 and 11. If you can remember it, if you can remember 7 and 11. 7 11. Uh, God is a just God, and he's angry with the wicked every day. The NRV says God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. Now, we talk about towards the the unbeliever. But watch this. Romans 1.18 says, for the wrath of God is revealed, in case you think I was just in the Old Testament, New Testament, for the wrath of God is revealed, shown from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress, hold the truth and unrighteousness, wickedness, all the shooting, the looting, the mass shootings, the murder, the, uh, the pornography, the sex trafficking, the child pornography, all the foolishness that's going on in this world is because it's the wrath of God because of the disobedience of men. It is called the Eudicium Particulare Occultum Deus. It is the particular hidden judgment of God. You think it's just because that man shot that man. You think it's just because that man did that to that woman and stole her pocketbook and, uh, and knocked her down and mother. It's because of re rebellious, uh, the sin of our father Adam. Mm. I don't want to get off script. I got the move. Christians are saved from the wrath of God in the future. First Thessalonians 1.10 says, We are waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Future. Romans 5, 8, and 10 says, But 
God commended, uh, demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were on the bar stool and in the club and dancing, excuse me, older generation, but it's just the truth, shacking up, backing it up, dropping it like it's hot. While we were on dope and had no hope and could not cope and did not realize that there is no high like the most high. My God, Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. They lifted him high. They stretched him wide. They dropped him deep. They crushed 72 thorns upon his skull and the blood came streaming down his brow and down his beard and the songwriter picked up the pen and said, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins where sinners plunge beneath their blood and lose all their guilty saying, I don't know about you, but I know it was the blood. If the blood washed you and cleansed you and made you whole, body, spirit, and soul, come on and clap your hands and tell the Lord thank you. So Christians, 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 much more being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from God's wrath through Christ uh, Jesus. So Christians are saved from sin, sinful self, the system of this world, Satan, but we're ultimately saved from the wrath of God. Don't let nobody fool you. God is in charge. He's sovereign. He's the boss. And he's going to have his angels throw the devil and his angels and unbelievers and Satan's children into the lake of fire. Just know that. That's what the scripture says. Then Christians are saved to something. We're bringing it in. Christians are saved to at least two things. We're saved to the abundant life. Jesus said the thief cometh not but for to steal and, can, and kill and destroy. But I've come that you might have life that the, and that you might have it more abundantly. The rich and satisfying overflowing life, the New Living Translation says. Van Til, uh, the great apologist, called the abundant delight the full orb life you're blessed naturally spiritually economically domestically culturalistically my god namely holistically and completely but spiritually covenanted but specifically covenantally come on and clap your hands and tell the lord thank you in the gospel of Mark 10, 28 through 30, Peter began to say to Jesus, so we have left all and followed you. Yeah, two fishes in a boat. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or land for my sake and the gospel's sake. Who shall not receive a hundredfold, a hundred times now in this life, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and land. Watch this. With persecutions. The Greek word is diagmos, with persecution and tribulation. In other words, Jesus came that you have, might have life and more abundantly, but you're going to have some persecutions. You're going to be blessed and burdened at the same time. Listen to what the writer said, the great Dr. Luke said in Acts 14 and 22. We, you, us, through much tribulation, will enter the kingdom of God. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And that's why I like what Paul said. Now unto him that's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think according to the power 
power that worketh in you. What power that worketh in you, uh, Kenneth Square? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. What does that mean? The greater pressure inside of you is greater than the pressure outside of you. And so if the pressure outside of you was greater, it would crush you like the submarine. The submarine's pressure is greater in the inside than it is on the outside unless it would be crushed. But greater is him that is in you than he that is in the world. What's so great about it? About it? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Come on and clap your hands and tell the Lord thank you. So you are saved from the abundant life. So Jesus went on to say, with persecutions and in the world, the age to come, eternal life. Christians, uh, so that brings me to the second uh, thing Christians are saved to. Christians are saved to eternal life. And here it is. Sorry we didn't read the scripture. The apostle John picked up the pen and said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Folks, John 3.16 is the greatest Bible verse to describe what the Christians are saved from and what Christians are saved to. Dr. James, why is John 3.16 the greatest summary of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because God is the greatest person, so love is the greatest devotion. The world is the greatest number that he gave is the greatest grace. His only begotten son is the greatest gift that whosoever believeth in him is the greatest invitation shall not perish is the greatest mercy, but have everlasting life is the greatest position. The greatest position a person can have in life is eternal life. Not have a position as a CEO, COO, great athlete called the GOAT, the greatest of all time, a great entertainer, but the greatest position one can have in life is eternal life. Eternal life, Kenneth Square, starts the moment you become a born-again saved Christian and continues in heaven when you die. See, you have to understand uh, your life has a beginning, a middle, and a to-be-continued. When you die, your life doesn't end, but continues in eternity, either with God in an eternal heaven or with the devil and his angels in an eternal hell. So if you become a Christian today, you will be saved from sin, sinful self, system of this world, Satan, and ultimately from the wrath of God. And you will be saved to the abundant and eternal life. Christians, Christ-like ones, if anybody asks you what Christians are saved from, tell them we're saved from sin, sinful self, the system of this world, Satan. But we're ultimately saved from God's wrath now and in the future on the day of judgment. And we are saved to the abundant life and eternal life. Let the church say amen. 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 I don't know how you, you do it here, but should I, is it all right if I give an invitation to salvation, discipleship? Okay. Uh, if you're in the building today and you have not yet accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, and or if you are a backslider, 
the Bible lets us know he's married to the backslider. There are two types of backsliders. There's an impenitent, somebody who's angry with God and the people of God and God's way of doing things in God's government, don't want to have anything to do with God. And there's a penitent backslider, somebody who just got weak and fell along the way, and they just need the church to preach the gospel and love on them. And, if, and or if you are a nominal Christian, a Christian in word only and not in deed, you can become a phenomenal Christian in Christ Jesus today. If that's you, just lift up your hand. I won't embarrass you. I won't shame you. I tell you what, let us all pray this together. Lord, for someone that might have gotten convicted, let us pray this. Lord, I'm a sinner, and I want to be saved. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you were buried for me. I believe that you rose again on the third day for me. You went back to heaven. You're seated at the right hand of the Father. You're praying for me. You're coming back again one day for me. Lord, come into my heart. Be my Savior and Lord. Save me, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on and clap your hands and tell the Lord thank you. Amen. Amen. All right.